This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, January 10th. I'm Tyler O'Neill. I sat down with Stanley Goldfarb. He is a nephrologist and a former associate dean of the Perelman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, currently the chairman of an organization called Do No Harm, an organization focused on restoring the integrity of the medical profession, specifically, as you'll hear from him, talking about the importance of treating patients as they are, not according to preconceived notions of gender identity, of activism, of critical race theory, etc. So Dr. Goldfarb and I sat down, and I think this is a particularly important point today, because later today, the Ohio legislature is expected to override the veto of House Bill 68. This was Ohio's governor, who's a Republican, Mike DeWine, he vetoed the House Bill 68, which is all about protecting children from experimental transgender medical interventions. And this bill had essentially three components. First, it would ban cross-sex surgeries, gender reassignment surgeries for children, for minors. It would also ban cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers for minors. And then it would also ensure fairness in women's sports, saying that biological males could not compete against women in women's sports. So the legislature passed the bill with veto-proof majorities. Governor Mike DeWine decided to veto it. And when he vetoed it, he did a few things. First, he said, I would still support banning gender reassignment surgery for children. But I don't know about the other things. He said he'd listen to people on all sides of the issue. And then he repeated transgender activist claims that people will commit suicide if they don't have access to these experimental medical interventions. He also said that a regulation from his office, from his administration, would be more likely to survive legal scrutiny, citing some legal battles that many of these similar bills have faced in other states. Importantly, most of those laws have succeeded in those legal battles as of right now. So even though there are legal challenges, it's far from clear that DeWine's argument here was correct. In any case, the legislature is about to override this. And so Mike DeWine issued a veto. Immediately one week later, Mike DeWine issues what he calls an emergency executive order. And that does one third of what the bill he refused to sign did. And he said that an emergency exists requiring a ban on gender surgeries for minors. And it's interesting, Dr. Goldfarb gave us what he thought was the reason why Mike DeWine seemed to make this switch so quickly. And I think it's a very fascinating conversation. I have Dr. Goldfarb on, so tune in to our discussion right after this. So what is going on with Ukraine? What is this deal with the border? How do you feel about school choice? These are the questions that come up to conservatives sitting at parties, at dinner, at family reunions. What do you say when these questions come up? I'm Mark Guiney, the host of the podcast for you, Heritage Explains, brought to you by all of your friends here at the Heritage Foundation. 
Through the creative use of stories, the knowledge of our super passionate experts, we bring you the most important policy issues of the day and break them down in a way that is understandable. So check out Heritage Explains wherever you get your podcasts. This is Tyler O'Neill, a managing editor at The Daily Signal, and I'm honored to be joined by Dr. Stanley Goldfarb. He is the chairman of Do No Harm, a very important nonprofit fighting for the integrity of the medical profession. Dr. Goldfarb, it's great to have you with us. Great to be with you, So we're here talking about um, the issue of transgenderism, and Particularly, we saw in Ohio, Governor Mike DeWine, he did this kind of kind of two-step sort of thing. He decided he was going to veto a major bill, a bill banning gender-affirming care for minors and also making the field right for women's sports, making a, a fair playing field. He vetoes that bill, and then he signs an executive order doing one-third of what that bill initially did. Uh, how has Do No Harm responded to that, and why is it so important for an organization like yours to be en- engaged in an issue like well, this? Well, actually, what, uh, one of our responses was that we helped publicize uh, a video conference that was held at the Cincinnati Children's Hospital, which revealed the fact that uh, the physicians there were contemplating ways that they could hide from parents the fact that their children were undergoing transitions. And they did acknowledge the fact that they performed surgery on a, a minor, at least one. <laughs> um, and um, and th- we publicized this. We, had it, uh, we put it out in the, in the popular press. And I think that was one of the um, factors that led the governor to realize that he had a problem on his hands. And I think his response although I don't know this, I'm speculating, I think his response, though, reflected the fact that suddenly the public was being made aware of the fact that these surgeries were going on in these children and that this was done in a way that was sub rosa as far as the parents were concerned. And again, if you believe that parents should be deeply involved in their children's lives and certainly something as as critically uh, monumental for a child's life is a gender transition effort. Um, then, and you also believe that cho- that parents shouldn't be abusing their children, therefore not really helping in in this uh, activity, which we know really hurts many, many, many more children than it could possibly help. Um, and this is really an important, uh, I think, uh, bill that gets passed. And and I think the governor was responding to the fact that he really had made a terrible mistake. Um, in in vetoing it. I I think he was trying to be compassionate, but, you know, compassion means that you're really ending up doing the right thing, not just making people feel good about what you've done. And, um, you know, all these parents came out and said, thank God the governor did this. And in fact, what they were doing was sort of consigning their children that had been uh, going down this path to a a faith that's that's going to be very unpleasant in years to come. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about that surgery that you revealed through these through these videos. Well, you know, the, the, the commonest surgery that goes on to, to children is uh, the so-called top surgery, which basically is a double mastectomy. Yeah. Now, you have to understand, when they do that, they really don't take out all the breast tissue. So these, these children now that have had their breasts removed, but not 100% removed, 
have a lifelong risk of breast cancer that's going to be a terrible problem for them to be monitored because they don't have adequate breast tissue to really do a clear comparison between normal and abnormal breast tissue. So from a radiologic standpoint, this is a real problem and a real challenge. So not only are they creating this this mutilation, really, but they're also creating another health problem associated with transgenderism, which is going to be a great deal of difficulty for monitoring a, a woman, it's still a woman, who has the risk of breast cancer. And, you know, it's a, unfortunately a very common condition in women. And um, and so that's really what happened. And, uh, you know, one of the young women who's undergone this, and now is a detransitioner, so-called, is Chloe Cole, who yeah. works with us at Do No Harm. And, um, and Chloe has had terrible medical problems associated with this procedure. It's not a benign procedure by any stretch of the imagination. It's a, it's a major procedure, and it, it has led to many complications, including healing problems, which lead to really uh, both cosmetic as well as, as real functional disabilities for these, these young women uh, if the procedure doesn't go well, and, it, and occasionally it doesn't go well at all. So what other risks are you seeing? You know, you were, you've been a medical professor for many years. Why are you engaged in this movement to restore medicine on issues like these? Yes. You know, I, I, I'm not an expert on gender care. I, I was, my specialty was kidney disease. I saw adults. I didn't care for children. I, I interact with children on occasion, but that wasn't my main um, focus in my medical career. So I don't pretend to be an expert in this area, although I think any physician can appreciate the, the complications and are aware of the, the sorts of complications that occur. My own particular interest in this was coming from the other mission that Do No Harm has. That mission is to combat discriminatory practices in healthcare and identity politics that have been injected into healthcare. And I see yeah. in the, the transgender world is yet another example of identity politics. Once these children show up and express any interest at all in, in issues of what their proper gender orientation ought to be, they're suddenly put into the identity of being a trans kid. Yeah. And then they're put on this pathway, this algorithm that's been created, without thinking about them as individuals. So my interest in this became mostly driven by the fact that I want to see patients treated as individuals. I don't want to see them treated as a member of an identity group, be it whether they're African-American, Latino, any other particular minority group that's been targeted as being a focus of so-called identity politics in medicine. The trans children are yet another example of this, calling these, these kids. Instead of saying, here's a child that's very hurt, very confused, unsure of what they're, how they should deal with these changes that are starting to occur to their body as they enter into puberty, instead of understanding the, the sources of, of their confusion, their unhappiness, whether they have psychological problems that are underlying it, instead of understanding better their relationship with their parents and trying to improve that if it's deficient in any way, they're told, you're a trans child and we're going to start you on hormones and we're going to start you on puberty blockers. This is what's going on. And anybody who says that's not what's going on, all they need to do is go on the website of many gender clinics who will tell you, we don't even need a, a note from a psychiatrist. We'll start you on hormones if you request it. And that's what's happening. And, um, and so my interest in this 
began as part of my general interest in seeing patients treated as individuals and not as members of a group. Now, we've been fortunate to be able to work with individuals who have great experience in this area. Dr. Roy Epen is one of our senior fellows at Do No Harm. He's an endocrinologist. He's a gay man. And he's, he's just recently written about this whole process, pointing out that this represents an example of trying to convert children from being gay. Many, many children who express interest in transgenderism from very early uh, time in life um, end up being gay individuals. And he, he is, and, and many other gay individuals have pointed out that this represents, instead of allowing them to live a normal life as a gay person, they're being transitioned into something else, and then all of the medical and psychological complications associated with that. Dr. Miriam Grossman is one of our senior fellows, and she's a psychiatrist who's written brilliantly about this issue and in ways that help uh, parents. January Littlejohn, who's a wonderful parent advocate, works with us, and Chloe Cole, as I mentioned before, is. Uh, a detransitioner who's worked with us and is amazingly articulate to point out what life is like for these for these children once they've gone through this procedure. So that's a long-winded answer to the yeah. the the, uh, the question. But our organization does in, in include individuals who are really able to speak about this with great expertise and experience. I can speak about it from a more theoretical <laughs> standpoint, and they can speak about it from an actual experiential standpoint. Well, and these these detransitioners, people like Chloe Cole, um, it seems to me as if the mainstream medical movement that is that is pushing the gender affirming care model as a one size fits all solution to a problem that I'm not sure we have fully understood. Um, that. You know, they seem to almost ignore that people like Chloe Cole exist. And I think this poses a big problem for the medical industry of, as a whole when so many of them are just overlooking the failures of a certain procedure that they encourage for everyone and then silencing dissent on it. Have you seen anything like that in medicine before? Well, you know, there have been there have been um, adventures in medicine that have turned out to be terrible. One of the, the classic one has been the, the lobotomy story, yeah. where this was oh, done God. to control yeah. individuals who had psychological problems, and somebody even won a Nobel Prize for lobotomies back in the 1920s, and it turns out to be a, a, a catastrophe when it's occurred. Um, so there are examples of these sorts of uh, things that occur in medicine. So we have encountered, you know, this kind of medical experimentation uh, in the past. But the detransitioner problem, as you say, is a really uh, a potentially very large problem. We really have no idea of what the full dimensions of that really will be uh, because it's clear that it can take many years before the full regret moves to the point where these individuals decide this has been a mistake. Now, that might occur a few months after they go through surgery or start on drugs. It might occur several years later. And unfortunately, the field has been looked at this whole thing in a very short-term fashion. So when a child goes, starts on these hormones and expresses, I'm, I'm much happier now than I was after three or four months or even after a year, 
no one has taken into account the possibility this is a placebo effect. We know in, in psychological problems, yep. there's a huge placebo effect and where if they get medication for a particular condition, the condition will dramatically improve. Now, a drug is shown to be effective if it's compared to a placebo and you show that incremental improvement is present. Then a drug is, is, a, is a eligible for, for approval and use. In this case, there's been no controlled study comparing this whole treatment to a treatment where you just support the child for a period of time. There are no real controlled studies of this condition. There were no simultaneous randomized entry of children into one protocol which gives them medications and one protocol which gives them so-called watchful waiting and psychological support to see what percentage of children really benefit. And, you know, even in the studies that have been done without the controls, there's very, very little evidence at all that these children have long-term benefit. Well, so the the, G, the detransitioner question is how many of these children are going to regret what's gone on? And, and for the children that have already gone through these uh, transgender care protocols and, and now regret it and are so-called detransitioners, there's been very, very little support. And just one thing I wanted to point out was that our organization, the Do No Harm, is sponsoring legislation called the Detransitioners Bill of Rights. Yeah, I was about to ask. Yes, and so there really are three key elements to this bill. Mm -hmm. And the idea is to provide model legislation for states so that the state legislators who are interested in this have a substrate in which they can make their modifications to the bill and introduce the bill into the, the legislative process. So our bill has three main components. The first component is informed consent. The informed consent ought to list all of the known complications of puberty blockers and hormones and ought to ex express them in great detail and then ought to give a detailed problem of the surgical procedures. And they, these have to be laid out in great detail. It can't be a, a superficial discussion of this or even a lack of complete um, uh, awareness of what the possible complications are. So that's part one. Part two is transparency, to find out exactly what's going on in the medical community. How many people are getting these uh, medications? How long have they been getting these medications? And so on. And the third part is a an ability to sue physicians and institutions that have put them through this, and then subsequently these children decide this was a terrible mistake, but they weren't given the right information that allowed them to understand that at the time. And we, But the point is most malpractice is only a three-year window. This is a 25-year window because it's mm -hmm. going to be several years, maybe even a couple of decades, before they appreciate that they made a terrible mistake and that they've ruined their lives. It also yeah. uh, allows for a four-year discovery. Once they they uh, identify the problem, they will have time to sue as well. So um, we think we think this will be a very important and and ultimately, I think this will be the f the final way that we'll be able to control this uh, tremendous uh, increase in in so-called uh, transgender affirming care. Thank you so much, Dr. Goldfarb, for joining us. Where can the people follow your important work and yeah, so check out this model legislation? Thank you, Tyler. This is donoharmmedicine.org. Do No Harm Medicine is one word, and it's on our website is the model legislation. They can read it for themselves, and they can see what other activities we're involved in in supporting families 
they'd have their children going through this as well as uh, the detransitioners. Thanks again so All much right, for Thank you very much. Well, really fine. enjoyed it. Thank you. That was Dr. Stanley Goldfarb, chair of Do No Harm. If you liked what you heard here, and if you like what the Daily Signal podcast brings, feel free to leave us a five-star rating and review. We read all of your feedback. And don't forget to tune back into this very podcast for our top news edition this afternoon, where we go through the top news of the day, getting you up to speed on your evening commute. So again, thank you for listening. And remember to tune in for our top news edition. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Samantha Asheris. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.